All right. Well, first off, I want to say thank you to Pastor Sam for allowing me to get up here. Um, I know I get up here and do the announcements every other Sunday or something like that, but to uh, be trusted with the microphone for more than five minutes is a privilege, so thank you. And yes, we will see if uh, the apple does not fall far from the tree or if I can get you out of here on time. So I'll try. We will try. So yes, we've been in this series about neighbors and we're talking about evangelism. And I just wanna take a moment, this isn't in my notes, but I was thinking about it. You know, we are leading up to Easter service and we want you to invite people. We encourage you to invite people. And I know we put a lot of emphasis on inviting people on Easter and it's because we know that they're gonna come and they're gonna hear the story of the resurrection. And when people hear the story of the gospel, their lives are changed, right? So that's why we put a lot of emphasis on inviting people on Easter. But can I just say, that's not the only Sunday that you can invite people to church. Right? Amen? Okay. I just thought I'd throw that out there for uh, Pastor Sam. So, you're welcome. So, it's funny, Manuel, that you got up here and you shared that testimony. And, you know, we're kind of on a theme of love this morning. And, he got up and he shared his testimony about this little girl who, who stepped out and she was faithful to give that track and that track is what led him to the youth group and the youth group is what brought him back to the Lord. Because today, I wanna talk about evangelism and how it's relational and how evangelism is not just what we think when we think Billy Graham, you know, on, on stages leading these big crusades, or it's not just the, the Todd Whites, the people who are out in the streets praying every, over everybody they see limping around and seeing healings and miracles. It's not just that. It's also about being relational and taking the time to invest in someone one-on-one, -on -one, someone that the Lord has placed in your circle of life, someone that you can love on, someone that you see is hurting, and someone that needs to know that God loves them. So I'm gonna, if I have time, I'm gonna jump around in a couple different scriptures. And the first one that we're gonna be in is Acts 26 through 31. If you wanna flip there, you can. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But while you're flipping there, I wanna share a little bit of a story um, and share some statistics with you. Did you know that 40% of people who come to know the Lord come to know the Lord because a friend told them. And it is the most common way that people are getting saved. So much so that the next number down was only 19%, and that was through media. It wasn't even through church. I think church was the third one. It was like 17, 16% or something like that. So 40% of people are getting saved because a friend is taking the time to invest in them. A friend is taking the time to love on them. A friend is taking the time to sit down with them and share truth with them and share the, the word with them. You know, someone in this room that most of us know and all of us love was saved through somebody being relational with them. This person, as they were younger, um, made friends with someone that they were in class with, and just through them starting to hang out, that friend started investing in him and started sharing truth with him and started sharing love with him. And it was one day after this had been going on for a while that they were just um, playing sandlot football, and the friend looks over at him and he's like, so uh, 
When do you, you want to do this? When do you want to experience the love, experience the truth that I've been telling you about? And he was like, well, well, how about now? And the friend was like, well, okay, let's go. And so they went to the church and he, the friend led him to the Lord right then and right there. Yeah. And you may already know that that person was Pastor Sam. <laughs> Pastor Sam was saved because somebody took the time to invest in him and to be intentional with him. Right. And you know, when we do that, we don't see ahead of time through a ripple effect that that can have. That five-year-old girl had no idea the life that Manuel would be living and the amount of people that he's touching and inspiring daily. And I'm sure I, your friend knows because they're still friends, so he can see the impact that Sam has on people's lives. I think everybody in here can say that Sam has touched them in a way and has loved on them in a way that's ministered to them. And so much so that it's, it's extremely personal to me especially because Sam turned around, I'm sure, and did the same thing to many people, but he turned around and he did the same thing to my father through meeting my dad at his business that he part owned at the time. He went in and he saw someone who was hurt and who was, see my dad crying on the front row, can't help it. Um, He saw someone who was hurt and bitter towards church and towards church people. But yet he kept being intentional. He kept loving on my father. He never judged my father. And he was relational with him. So much so that obviously my dad decided to go to NCC one day. And through people continuing to love on him there, we stuck. (laughs) And I can't say that without getting emotional because then I see the ripple effect on how it touched my family and how it touched my life. You know, Sam and my dad, they did the same thing with me, you know, growing up since 10 when I had been in the church, but especially when I was 17 and 18 and I was going through those times where I was about ready to give up on religion. So you can see even from the beginning, the first person that ministered and was intentional with Sam, it trickled down to my dad and it's trickled down to me and it's trickled down to a bunch of other people. So it's not just stepping out and it's not just talking to somebody I mean, it is, it's that simple, but it's not you just wasting time. You know, when you're investing in someone, you don't know what the Lord is doing behind the scenes already in their heart, and you don't see what he's gonna be doing in the future at the moment. So evangelism. Sometimes when you bring up the word, we get a little uh, squirmy on the inside, and maybe you start sweating a little bit because you are like, oh gosh, that means talking to people, that means this, I have to do this, I have to do this, I can't do this, God can't do this. And we kind of just let this fear build up inside of us. And so today, I wanna take a moment to look, I'm sure there's more than three, but I wanna look at three lies or myths that we believe when it comes to evangelism. And the first one is, there's someone better that God can use other than me. Or you could say it, I'm a nobody, God can't use me. Or I'm not good enough, God can't use me. However the enemy has lied to you in that moment, that is the myth that you're believing about evangelism. And it's, it's a huge one that I've struggled with that in my life. You know, we look at people in these mega churches, pastors or people on the stage, and it's easy to think, well, yeah, of course God can use them. They're awesome, you know? But where did that person start? You know, think about it. Don't you think the first time that they ever stepped out on a stage or even just talking to someone that maybe 
they were having some squirmy feelings. Maybe they were sweating a little bit. You never know. But the thing is, they actually stepped out and they did it. And through stepping out and stepping out again and stepping out again, that's what led them to where they are now. And so what if we stepped out? What if, what if we took that opportunity and we said, okay, God, it's really hot in here and I'm uncomfortable, but sure, I'll go speak to that person or sure, I'll go do this. What if we stepped out and then stepped out again and then stepped out again? You never know. Maybe you'd find out that you're awesome too. <laughs> Move out the way, Stephen Burdick or Billy Graham. So let's turn to Acts 8. Because if there's one thing that the Bible shows us, it's that God likes to use messy people. He likes to use the nobodies or the people that other people wouldn't deem qualified. So looking in Acts 8, this is 26 through 31. And we're talking about Philip here, okay? And maybe some of you don't even know who Philip is and that just proves my point even more. Philip, if you read back in chapter six in Acts, is just a table server. And the 12 disciples are talking for a moment and they're like, okay, we need someone to serve these tables and we need someone to minister to the widows, but we can't do it. We need to be out there ministering to people. So uh, yeah, you guys just choose someone honest who can do that. And Philip was one of those people that stayed behind and that was chosen. But then if you move on to eight, Verse 26, um, because of the time, I think I'm actually just gonna paraphrase the story for you. Um, he goes out and, and the Lord calls him, he sends him to go to Samaria. He tells him to go to Samaria. And on his way there, he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch. And the Lord just says to him, hey, go speak to him because he can hear him trying to read a passage from Isaiah, but he can't do it because he can't interpret it. So the Lord tells him to go and he interprets the scripture for him and the Ethiopian guy invites him up into his chariot and Philip just starts talking to him and being relational with him and telling him about Jesus and telling him about God so much so that this guy just gets saved right then and there and forces the chariot to pull over so that Philip can baptize him, right? So the scripture goes on and it tells us that Philip, he went and he preached through the cities and the towns and people were brought to Christ and people were saved and all that. But I love the fact that the scripture takes a moment to stop and just focus on this relational evangelistic moment that Philip had with this guy. It was just a normal day. The Lord told him to go. He saw this person, he stepped out and the guy winds up getting saved. And I mean, I don't know if you know what a eunuch is, but it says that this guy was working with the queen of the Ethiopians, you know? So he had multiple opportunities to go and minister to people in high places after that, right? Um, so myth number one, God can't use me. There's always somebody else that he can use that's better than me. But if we look through the Bible, Jesus likes to use the people who don't think they're qualified. He likes to use the murderers. He likes to use the prostitutes. He likes to use the, the witches or the people that are nobodies. So myth number two, they don't want to hear what I have to say. When I first 
moved over to England. Um, I was really excited and I was getting jazzed up about everything and I took a moment and I prayed and I was like, Lord, I don't wanna just minister to people when I'm in the church and I don't wanna just minister to people when I'm working in the high schools. I want you to just use me and have free reign to tell me to say something to anybody, wherever I am, the shops, anything. And so I went to the shops one day with the woman I was living with and I decided to sit in the cafe and have a coffee while she was shopping. And I was sitting at this bar table on this stool and two businessmen came and sat literally right next to me across from each other. And I'm sitting there, I have nothing to do. And they just start talking. And one guy just says, hey, do you ever think God's real? And I was like, like, the lights and the radars just went off in my head. I was like, what? And he starts talking and he's, he was explaining to the other guy that he had just lost somebody who was close to him. And it made him start thinking about afterlife and if heaven was real and if hell was real. And, and he was saying how he had explored with other religions, but they, he just didn't find anything in it. And so it made him start thinking, what if God's real? You know, I haven't explored that. And the whole time I'm sitting there and I'm like, say something, say something come on, stupid, pipe up. Like, you could just be like, hey, um, I don't know if you want to talk to me, but I heard you were talking about God and like, I like him. So I don't know if you want to hear me or not. Um, And I was sitting there and I had this, oh, that feeling in your gut when you know the Lord is telling you to do something and you don't want to do it because you feel awkward. And long story short, I didn't do it. The men wound up leaving and I sat there afterwards and I was just like, you suck, like how, why? that was a perfect opportunity. You had just prayed. It was like the Lord just like threw it in your lap. Like, what are you doing? But I allowed that lie in my head that was telling me these two businessmen don't wanna talk to a 19 year old American girl. They don't wanna hear your experience with the Lord. They don't wanna hear what you have to say. You're not a vicar, you're not a minister. You have nothing that you could say to them that would be important. And I find, you know, when we talk about evangelism in the church, and especially when I just said invite people to Easter, some of you probably started having those little sirens go off in your head. You probably even thought of somebody at where you work with or somebody in your circle of life that you're like, oh, I could invite them. But you're like, nope, 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 probably not going to do it. But why? Like, Yeah, okay, somebody might say no, they might, but do we ever think what would happen if they said yes? What if we invited them even in an awkward way, like, hey, you wanna go to church to me? And they were like, (laughs) yeah, sure. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. I wasn't expecting that. And then they came to church and then they got saved. Like, how cool would that be? Did you, yeah, yeah. Did you know that 82% of people said that they would say yes if somebody asked them to go to church. That kind of makes us start rethinking things like, okay. And actually, my dad was the one that brought that point up. And it's funny because Elise was like, man, I must get the 18%. Wow, math is hard. Elise was like, man, I must get the 18% of people that never want to go. And sometimes we can feel like that, but hey, keep trying, because 82% said that they would go. I want to read a verse, and um, I had to screenshot it on my phone because I don't have an amplified Bible. But it's in Ecclesiastes 3.11, and it says this. 
He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend, grasp what God has done, his overall plan from the beginning to the end. The part I wanna focus on, he planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart. That means in every human heart. So when you're believing that lie is that they don't wanna hear what I have to say, whether they realize it right then or not, they do. Because that sense of eternity, that sense of longing for divine purpose has been planted in each and every single one of us. So they may not recognize it, but by you saying something, you're stirring that up in their hearts. I also wanna look, so if you wanna flip over to Acts 9, we are going to be in verse 10. This is Ananias, okay? And we know that Paul is arguably the greatest evangelist of all time, right? But it started with Ananias. It started with the Lord giving Ananias a word and a call to go to where Paul was or Saul at the moment and pray over him for him to receive the sight and tell him what the Lord had told him. And for time, again, I'll probably paraphrase this one. But if you look at it, down in verse 13, the Lord had just told him, hey, go say this to Paul. And Ananias says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias kind of has this moment where he's arguing with God, like, um... God, I don't know if you know this, but like he's been murdering people like me, uh, people who claim to love you, so probably not. That's kind of what I feel like Ananias is thinking, because that's what I'd be thinking in that moment. I mean, if somebody told me to go, if I lived back then, if somebody told me to go minister to um, Hitler or like Jack the Ripper, I'd be like, mm, God, I don't, I don't think so. Probably, that's probably not gonna happen. But the Lord assures him, he's like, no, I need you to go. I need you to tell Paul this because Paul is this and I have plans for him. And so he goes. And that's what I love because as a side note, even though Ananias argued with God because he didn't, you know, he's like, this is a murderer. He does not wanna hear what a Christian has to say. He's killing people like me. He's probably heard it. He's heard what the Pharisees have said and what people are claiming about God and religion and he's murdering people like me. He doesn't wanna have to hear what I have to say. But the Lord says, go a second time, and so he goes. And what I love about this also is that, you know, sometimes we have to be willing to step out and go places and talk to people that we wouldn't normally. Because God has a calling on everybody's life. And you, don't, you may not be able to see it now, but if the Lord says, go, go. Amen. Myth number three, evangelism is just pointing out people's flaws. If you believe that, can I politely ask you not to join the outreach team? <laughs> I'm just kidding, sort of. This is an area which, unfortunately, a lot of the church still 
struggles with, you know? And sometimes it's not even out of a malicious heart. Sometimes it's just out of naivety. Is that a word? Nope. Nope. Yep. Whatever. <laughs> I obviously wasn't great at school. That's why I'm in the ministry. Okay. <laughs> kidding. <laughs> they may not ask me to preach again, it's fine. You know, we see it though, yeah? We see people who are Christians and they go to church and we see them out in the streets holding turn or burn signs and all this kind of stuff. And for some reason, we can get under the impression that that's God's design and purpose for evangelism. But I wanna read in the scripture a story, and it's in John 8, and it's verse one through 11. Okay, and it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he, bit, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go from now on and sin no more. This verse points out God's design for evangelism. It's about being love. It's not about judging people and it's not about condemning people, but it's about seeing where they're at, getting down on the ground, loving them, and then encouraging them. See, I'm not saying that there's not a time where we can't highlight where, or pull somebody up, call them higher, or maybe point out to them, you know, something that, they're living in that isn't exactly lining up with the Bible, but all of that comes through the relationship and the trust that you've already built with them. See, Jesus loved her first, and because he didn't judge her and he didn't condemn her, he then had the right to speak into her life and tell her to go sin no more. And so if you're out and we're ministering to people, you know, you better not, I don't say better not, but you should not condemn them and judge them if you haven't yet loved them first. Okay, I'm gonna wrap this up. <laughs> Little out of time, but. So relational evangelism, you know, we've pointed out three fears, you know, God, there's always someone better that he can use. They don't wanna hear what they, I have to say and it's about pointing out people's flaws, you know. So how do we be relational? How do we overcome those myths? How do we overcome the lies that we've been believing about evangelism? 
And because, you know, I talked earlier about how evangelism can um, evoke fear in us and stress us out a little bit and cause us to start sweating, you know, some people would think, well, I've just got to pray for boldness, and if I had boldness, then I could do it. And I don't know why you're Southern when you're praying for boldness, but apparently you are. Um, And yes, boldness plays a part in it, but I think boldness really just comes from knowing who we are in Christ. You know, if we're out and we're ministering to people and we're trying to encourage them and, and tell them about the grace of God and tell them about the love of the Father, if we don't yet truly understand that in our hearts for ourselves, then we can't fully encourage somebody else in that. We have to realize and come to the place of understanding that God loves us. When we are saved, we are never made more righteous by things that we do, and we are never made more unrighteous by things that we do. When we come into the kingdom of God and we come into his presence, we, that grace that he so freely gives, belongs to us. And because we understand that grace and because we understand that we're a new creation and creature in him, we are then driven by compassion to see that others walk in freedom. And I think that's where the boldness comes from. Yeah, you can pray for it, but if you know who you are, and you're gonna to wanna to pull that out of other people. Right, amen? Amen. And evangelism is love. We're loving on people. And if evangelism is love, then we have to remember that there is no fear in love. So, amen?